We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And welcome back to another episode of the Golden Blogs podcast, The Bearcast. We are back here after seemingly, I don't know, what would you call it? A week? It's just, I mean, <laughs> are you are you disappointed? Are you, because for me, my my emotions right now is like at a standstill. It's just, it's just at a, a flat zero. It's not a plus or a minus. So. Hmm. I don't know. But um, I'm Rob. I'm here with my co-host, Andy, who is away from the mic right now because he put ice in his mouth and he doesn't want to chew it and <laughs> get all the break. Just do it. Just do it once and get it out of the way. Oh, okay. We're back. We're back. I don't know. Am I positive? Am I negative? I'm not really sure. I guess I, I, I kind of walked away from the game with a different reaction than... A lot of people actually had the very much the same reaction as most people. I was very upset about as soon as the first, as soon as the game ended. I, I think, so yeah, I was just so mad. What a terrible throw! And why? Like we literally could have ran the same play with Garbers. But uh, my biggest kind of takeaway when I came to my senses, just like I just don't think. We really understand how how unbelievably like thin we are at receiver. I think people get it, especially with Jordan Duncan now being gone. But I don't know if like there's a lot of blame that gets tossed out to Bo Baldwin. And like, are you guys like, watching the receivers? Like, our receivers get zero separation. Our receivers don't even block downfield well. There's a Jeremiah Hawkins block that was one of the most pathetic things I've ever seen. And like, you could be a great dude. Like, so I don't. Be, <laughs> mean this in a negative way, but it just is one of those things where I look at the receivers and even if we had a Demetrius Robinson, like, we don't really have anyone that creates separation, that brings speed. Nico Remigio is only in the game because Conovai is out with injury. Um, we need athletes. Like, but everything Sonny Dyke said about that was awful and that whole quote about needing athletes on the defensive side of the ball is how I feel about our current situation on the offensive side of the ball is that we actually just need to go out and hit the recruiting trail. And these coaches need to go prove that. And if we did that, we'd have a very significant, you know, high ceiling on what next season could look like. Because in a lot of ways, this game probably shouldn't have been as close as it was. The pick six play was like the most non-Cal thing I've ever seen. Uh, Like, since when do we have plays that go that way? From? We're usually the on the opposite end where we intercept it and then we fumble it into the end zone and they get the ball back. Or like we fumble it into their hands and then they take it back for a touchdown or something like that. Yeah, usually that's the case. So I guess I came out of the game a little bit more negative simply because I started to think about what if we were a bowl team um, you know, now? What if we got to that sixth, that elusive sixth win? Because I do think that there's some level of a, of a block there. Uh, I'm sure for a place like people like Vic Warden that you know got a couple five win seasons mixed in there like you know, that elusive six wins. So uh, I guess I'm a little bit more on the negative side. But I I said I would I said I was like a, a net zero, 
but I will inch on the positive side, like I'm a positive lean, just because of the fact that I did a Q&A with Coog Center, and I answered all our usual questions of like, what does Washington State have to do to win this game? What does Cal have to do to this game? And I said, you know, don't sleep on our defense. And I went on their podcast and I said, I honestly don't know how this game is going to go, um, but I think Cal's defense gets enough stops where this plays like within a touchdown or like like a 10-point margin. Yeah. Somewhere within like both teams scoring like 20 points, like under 30 is what I projected this game to be. People said all the most of the Washington State fans said I was crazy, said that there was no way that, that we were keeping this offense under 30 points. Um, and, you know, people were like, he's mighty high on his on his defense. Um, and then lo and behold, they were lucky to get 19. Yeah. <laughs> they were damn fortunate that they got 19 points. Yeah. So, you know, it that's. That was that was where I stood, and then you know to see the game play out the way it did, and then afterwards I I dropped by the the um, their post game thread, and not to troll them or anything. I was just like, you know what, great game, guys. You guys deserve to win that one. Like you know, with the way we gave away the ball, um, and just just uh, you know, tip of the hat to you guys, and we'll see you guys next year. Like, and, you know, people were like, oh, yeah, you know, thanks. You know, like, we'll, we'll play you guys next year. And some guys were like, can we just, like, agree never to play each other, you know, ever again? I feel like I feel like what, what Oregon State is to us, right, in terms of that anomaly, weird loss every so often is us to them. Like, something happens whenever we play them where everything is going so well for them and then – Something happens in that Cal game where nothing that they usually do right goes right. And it goes very, very, very wrong. They should be really scared about playing Cal every year, I think. Yeah. That, well, the last... It's like Wilcox and DeRoyter and the entire defensive staff completely understand how to bottle up that type of offense. Yeah, and I, and I just think historically, like, you know, over the last five five years or so... They, we've had games against Washington State where if you're a Washington State fan, you look at that, look at those Cal games where you lost to Cal, and you're just like, oh my god, like we that you know it just brings nightmares back, you know, like that game last season when they came number eight ranked into Berkeley and we on that Friday the thirteenth game, there's there's the missed uh, PAT where we got their special teams coach fired, <laughs> and then there's this game where they won, but you know. By the skin of their teeth, really, because it 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 was it was Washington State's game to lose, really, um, because they were so heavily favored going into the game, and their offense was couldn't do it much. But we'll we'll dive into this. It's All right, Cal, it's Cal's game to win. It was Cal's game to win. <laughs> I thought, like, I th- I, oh yeah, I, no, no, I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not saying what uh, what transpired, gotcha. but but before the game, but when you're heading into the game, you're like, this is. Washington State can't lose this. They're the eighth-ranked eighth ranked team in this country. They're the number one passing offense in the country. Like, there's no way you should be winning this. So, oh yeah, um, that is our executive producer. I'm gonna do it. I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take that from the Coog Center. That's our executive producer snoring in the background. Uh, but she will be moved in a little bit. Um, but you know what? Um, yeah. Before I move her, I'm just going to go over uh, some of the, the initial stats and stuff like that. So Cal goes into number number eight, Washington State, on some rankings, number 10 on some. So I'm just going to go with the higher one, which is eight. Um, going to Pullman, Cal loses 19 or 13 to 19. They are, I mean, the stats are incredible, like de- defensively. Washington State, 23 first downs, Cal 20 first downs. They are nine, 19 of those 23 are passing, <laughs> which is insane. They're throwing the ball. Like <laughs> I, there was that Mike Leach comment about uh, balance. And he's like, what the hell is, what the hell is that supposed to mean? Like there, there's no such thing as balance. Um, when he was talking about like run versus run versus pass. Uh, but some stats for you here. Uh, Chase Garbers. 
for Cal, uh, 15 to 26 with one interception and one touchdown, 127 yards. Brandon McIlwain, three of seven with one interception and 52 yards. Rushing wise, Chase Garbers, 11 rushes for 67 yards. Patrick Laird, 18 rushes for 40 yards. Um, and for Washington State, Gardner Minshew, 35 of 51 with an interception, 334 yards and one touchdown. And then for their rushing offense, it was James Williams with five runs for 34 yards and Max Borgie, six for 33 and the one touchdown. Uh, Receiving-wise, this was interesting. Not a single player in the entire game eclipsed 100 yards receiving. So we did pretty well in that aspect. And then defensively, uh, some of the interesting stats from the Cal side is uh, Jordan Kanasic, nine tackles, one sack, one one and a half tackles for loss. Evan Weaver, nine tackles, uh, one interception and one pass breakup. Travion Beck, five tackles and one tackle for loss. And then also the other one was Tevin Paul, who was very disruptive in this game with three tackles, one uh, one breakup and one QB hurry. The crazier part is looking at the Washington State side of the defensive stats, Peyton Pallor, 10 tackles, a half a sack, and 1.5 tackles for loss. They had, they had, I think, nine different guys or eight different guys. Yeah, eight different guys go for a tackle for loss or register a tackle for loss whether it be a full or a half so they got into the backfield quite a bit and of course they they got five sacks on us too so i will hand it off to you while i move our executive producer over to a more comfortable position well i guess we're gonna start statistically i think that the stats actually kind of paint a picture of of the fortune that our team sort of had this game. I think that Washington State's offense actually did a pretty decent job of moving the ball down the field with ease. And uh, we ended up seeing a a version of the defense that was a little bit more of a bend-don't-break style of defense than what we saw against Washington, which was more of a just a dominant defense that completely shut shut down an opponent. And so ultimately, uh, I think it's a performance that is incredible in that, you know, our defense can also kind of give and still be that solid and not, you know, actually surrendering points on the board. Um, and then, you know, I thought Minshew looked really good uh, as, a, as a quarterback. He just made the right reads. He didn't make, you know, too many mistakes. I thought the Weaver pick was incredible, um, and and ultimately I walked, walked away really impressed. Thought that Cam Bynum was like very good. He was matched up on Patman a decent amount, and he was locking him down in most most of those situations. And uh, yeah, so I don't. I mean, I just walk away from every single game just being like, Avi said it at the beginning of the season. I think he nailed it on the head. He did it before anyone really realized what this team was. He said this team can beat anyone, and this team can also potentially lose to anyone. I don't know if we can really lose to anyone. I do think that there's teams that we were just better than, and we saw it against Oregon State. But for any game that's left on the schedule, what he said is the case. And as we've gotten into the toughest parts of the schedule, that also still is the case. So uh, it's really exciting. I mean, it's just one of those things where we're so I, I don't I don't know man I was just so used to a brand of football where okay we're going up against the number eight opponent we're just gonna get destroyed uh, and that's just how it was like we didn't really outside of the Texas game we don't really upset those opponents even the, the Texas game was a shootout too we barely won that one and Texas was bad yeah like this Washington State team is legit um, so it's just a different world I think we have a really strong coaching staff and. Um, there's plenty of questions on the offensive side of the ball. Slayer's stats are totally unacceptable. 18 rushes for 40 yards. Washington State's rushing defense is not great. Uh, so that is like totally unacceptable. Uh, for the O-line to give up that much pressure on the quarterback is not is also a bad sign. Um, I thought that you know, we have questions at quarterback. Like, <laughs> the offensive side of the ball is far, there's far less praise. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll piggyback off of your offensive line one and then segue into my thoughts. Is the, the offensive line thing is, is super weird to me because we've seen them 
do so well against bigger defensive lines. And then we go up against this Washington State defense, which in terms of personnel is still a speed D. Tracy Clays might not be bringing in that aspect of where they, you know, they do the little spin moves at the line, like pre-snap every single snap and, and all that stuff. But they're all guys that are legit speed off the edge and through the middle too. And they do such a great job with the stunts and, and get being able to give guys the yards to accelerate at offensive linemen on the back foot and then being able to beat them with the speed. I think the big thing was our offensive line was not prepped well enough to go against what they what they saw on tape because last year it was pretty much hey Hercules you get him down and we'll be all right yeah. offensive line wise this year you don't know where it's coming from. They do they they do what we do. They do such a good job of masking it. They send linebackers on the blitz. You know, they they move defensive linemen around like you know, the front seven was for them was just playing out, out of their minds as well. And that's where our offensive line buckled. And as I mean, I've we've said this a bunch of times, right, where it comes down to the offensive line depth and what it looks like going forward. Because we we're not knocking on the guys that are currently on the, on the roster, but we have two walk ons that are now scholarship guys that are on the offensive line, and those are always feel good stories. But I mean, let's be real here. Like, there's a reason offensive linemen are ranked, you know, four stars and five stars be, because that's how good they are. I'm not saying that we need to bring in all five star offensive linemen. Um, but you know, guys like Will Craig already look the part. Like they don't, you don't, you don't really see them needing a time to develop their body and, and other things. Like they, he can already give you something. And he was ranked as, prob- I think, the best tackle in the state of California. Um, he was up there on the West Coast, and like he is a four-star dude, and he's going to be great for us for the next three years. I believe. I believe he uses this year's eligibility because he. Might have played in more than four games now, or will be playing in more than four games. Um, so that's the offensive line, little piggyback. And then going into this game as a whole, it's just, yeah, I mean, the offensive recruiting is where what it boils down to, right? At, and I'm just, the, the, the part that confuses me the absolute most is, We've said this, we said this, I don't remember how many times, and I don't know which game after which game we said this, but there comes a time where you have a roster full of players. See what other guys can do, not just practice-wise, but, I mean, I don't think it's that out of the question to, like, put on Chris Brown at, at running back and, and give him a, give him an inside run or give him a, something he can bounce off of. Give him a couple runs so that he can get some rhythm and see, you know, if he can make some moves, you know, get out some of the other wide receivers. Like you, you talk about our wide receiver depth. And if you look at the depth chart, because how, of how thin we are, we have walk-ons like Ben Skinner, who's now on the two deep at, at wide receiver. We didn't see him a single time in this game. So, and we talked about the depth issue with the linebackers too. Like we never seen Tattersall playing inside linebacker, you know, or Doty. That's the issue I have a little bit with this coaching staff is that they're not willing to to give the young guys a shot. Um, yeah. like it's weird because you always hear of like you know the next man up mentality and like you know anything. Everything is on the table, and we're going to give everyone a fair shot. They did that with the quarterback, and they consistently still do that with the quarterback, but they're not willing to do that on any other position, which is we- – it's so weird to me because it doesn't it, – it's not across the board. Yeah. It's, it does, we've seen it on the O-line. Yeah. But I do feel like it tends to come after injury more so than opportunity. And there's – I also think that as they get more dug into this – you know, cannot possibly make a single mistake on offense. Otherwise, it's going to cost us the football game mentality. You're going to be less likely to, you know, let a, put a freshman in there that can make that mistake for you. So, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I just... What, Laird's style line is ridiculously bad. <laughs> I just... 
that was where we needed to to create and like that's where our need our offense really needed to materialize. It was against the def- that Washington State defense that is good, it's well coached, but is one that uh, you know was vulnerable. Like look at what Oregon State put up on them. I mean that's that's the flip side of this is when you like really look at the offensive side of things. Man, we are like decrepit like <laughs> In, in a lot of ways. Um, and, yeah, I mean, receivers, it's it's unfathomable, like, looking now, like, now with where we are, to think that we didn't take a quarterback in the last recruit class is just, like, we knew it at the time it was weird. And then to now look back on it and just be like, wow. I mean... There's a lot of questions that I have on the, the I mean, I just think they, they like, they have to get to work. Like every time they ask the players to get to work and they're like, okay, like back at it, like those coaches, like they really have to go earn their paycheck on the recruiting trail this year because, because the ceiling on this could be so high and Wilcox is here for the long haul. I haven't lost a single faith in an ounce of faith in his ability to do this. Um, but you know, when you have a, a defense can, that can be this good, that can show that they can be this well coached. You have windows with certain types of things. It's like the same reason why I'm so juiced that the Dodgers lost, right? The window closes. You don't always stay relevant. You can be the Rangers that make the World Series two years in a row and then they go back to being the worst team in baseball. Like, you have windows for these types of things. And right now we have this defense that is so chock full of talent. It's so well coached that I know some teams are going to be looking at DeRoyter being like, look at that defense, right? We know some teams are going to be looking at GA. You know, other, like, there's going to be people, maybe they're looking at Sermon. Like, there's, that will start to happen, and then you lose, and then you have to rebuild. So, like, there is a window with this. I think our window can be long, because people want to stay with Wilcox, like, in regards to one or two years. I really want us to take advantage of it next year. Because everything that we said, that initially I kind of cast some doubt on with the UCLA loss, was true when we set the ceiling for this team, it really was nine wins. It really was. It's easily conceivable that this team could have won nine games this year. We still could technically win nine games. Yeah, easily. Yep. Well, here's the thing. The one asterisk and counterpoint I will put for the quarterback thing from last from last year, not taking one, I'm okay with it because, because of we know the drama that happened. We know the Adrian Martinez thing. Right, and then post Adrian Martinez, the whole JT Shroud thing, yep. and then that came way late in the recruiting cycle. That JT Shroud decommitment, and then and then flipping to Tennessee. So I think that's where the coaching staff. And then didn't we try and get Wilson? Zach Wilson is that his name? We did, we did, but that was, Successful. but we were too late in that in that recruiting process, anyways. But I think I think that was the thing was they felt like they had Shroud. Like, they felt like he was the guy, and he was fully committed. And he goes to Tennessee and, like, just literally <laughs> just flips on the spot. Yeah. So I think they were blindsided. I, I don't think that – and then they decided not to reach on a quarterback other than maybe going after that Wilson kid because they kind of had a relationship already or were kind of eyeing him before they looked at um, Shrout and some of the other guys. So I'm okay with it because I'd rather not – we've seen what happens when you reach with recruits, um, and I, I'm i fine with not reaching. Um, but as you said, they need to earn their paycheck. Like you, <laughs> there's Everyone's already asking for, you know, we need, like, you know, more talent. We need more recruits. Like, we need more guys. And – that only becomes more amplified if you don't score a couple more to give you that cushion. Yeah. You know, like I player development takes more than one year, right? But you can buy yourself the developmental years if you pull those one or two guys into the stable for you. Some of the, I mean the defensive coaching staff has done that and continue to do that. The only question is we haven't seen any of our offensive Guys do it, except I think running back. I think running back, we did a great job last year with uh, with bringing in Johnny Adams and Chris yeah. Brown, two four-star guys. And Chris looks like he's he's the real deal, too. And I'm excited to see what Johnny does when he gets back to full health. Um, and that stable is so young. And you know Burl Toller's going to be a 
you know, recruiting well at that position. Plus, he's a local guy, so any local running back recruits, like, we're going to be in the thick of it, you know, to the very end. The question right now lies at quarterback and and wide receiver. And tight end. Uh, Tight end, I think think we're all right with. Because I I liked the McCastles get, and then we have Moharo and Bradley Archer coming in, and I think those two guys are going to be great. Um, So they got those two guys early. Bradley Archer just got a Stanford uh, and Washington offer. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, that tells you that those, even those powerhouse teams are like, yeah, he's going to be pretty good. And it doesn't look like he's going to, you know, uh, be decommitting from us anytime soon. Yeah. So, yeah. I, think, I agree. I mean, what you say with the reach is, is spot on. I mean, not giving away a roster spot to somebody that's just, you know, going to be like a hinder for four years. Like, no offense to Austin either, but like, yeah, you know, you're never gonna see the field. Or, um, I mean, we saw what happened with the basketball side of things, and that got that got ugly. So, yeah, so same thing. That's a good reminder. I just think that uh, there, you you just sort of see it in, in other programs, and you know, this is a good segue into where we're at with USC. And you take a look at USC's team, and yeah, like their fans are all up in arms because basically USC fans are always up in arms if they're not going to the Rose Bowl. So, but at the same time, I, I look at their situation and I'm kind of like, oh, they're in a, they're in a good spot in my mind. I mean, they have basically trotted out JT Daniels uh, all year long, so he's going to be so much better by next year. They've trotted out a uh, true freshman wide receiver. Uh, and, like, uh, I'm in rock and who's really good. He's going to be incredible. So they get to get these glimpses into the future. And the danger of what we do is like, it's going to be that reset. It, it's like, we will have to find out about these guys in the spring. We're not going to find out about these guys in the fall. And it's also a little bit of like what Dice did too, which is like what he did with the quarterback situation before Wilcox got here. We got to see zero of the backups. Well, we saw Ross hand the ball off like what, three times. <laughs> yeah. So it's like this weird dynamic that still kind of exists in the program that isn't allowing us to really expose some of those younger guys. Um, Now, the counter to that is that maybe you build a program where, you know, you do pull people off the scout team and they do earn their starting roles and, um, and then they come up and they perform into that level and maybe they don't need to see as much of the game to, in order to get that progression. But it's like, I would say to that is just like, man, if you brought a five-star talent athlete into this program and just put them on the kickoffs, just so we'd have some level of holy smokes, look how dynamic that player is, it would be really give a, an idea of you know what this team at full potential or uh, all the way through fruition could look like. Yeah, I mean, I feel like... I feel like the ceiling for this program under Wilcox is what you and I saw when we were in college under Tedford. Like it, it feels like that, right? Where you have a defense that's consistently good, can consistently lock up games. You'll have the anomaly game every once in a while. That's it, that's it, that's college football, in my opinion. Other than if you're not like the Alabamas of the world, like you'll, there will be that one game every year where either you'll either squeak out the victory or you get blown out. And I think for us this year was that UCLA game, and that's the that's the blip. You take that away, and everything else looks kind of normal. Um, so that's the trajectory and and the the benchmark right of where we want to get to. The only thing that's hindering us is that we have an offensive staff that doesn't seem to know what they're doing. And like it, it's not okay. I should reword that because I they know what they're doing. They're coaches. They, they, it's their job. They're getting paid to do this. I just I don't think they're handling the hardships that they're getting hit with right now, like with such talented guys leaving. You know, with the Stovalls and the Demetrius Robertsons and not having Ross, having relied on him all throughout the spring and into fall camp and not having him now. Um, I think they're they're in scramble mode, but they're trying to keep their cool throughout throughout this whole scramble mode, which which it's it's a double edged sword, right? Because at one on one side you're like, Okay, 
great. You guys are keeping your composure. You guys aren't just throwing guys out there to see what they can do, like, and like putting them in positions where they're going to have to make a negative five yard play into a, a 20 yard gain. Like, at least you're not doing that. But at the same time, you're not taking even like the slightest of ounces of risk in those younger players. Like, just being like, hey, you made a mistake. We got another guy who can, who can go and just seeing seeing what he can do out on there. And I think that's the weird part because we're so aggressive as a team. We go for it on fourth down so much, mm-hmm. right? Like the play calling is super aggressive on both sides of the field. And yet when it comes to personnel and giving guys opportunities, we're so meek. <laughs> it's super weird. Um, so put your Wilcox hat on. <laughs> Uh, reactions after the Washington State game. What was the biggest thing in your mind that plagued the offense? And then the secondary question of which, I mean, probably 40 people talked about in the post-game thread is would you retain your offensive coordinator? Post-season. So the thing with the offense that didn't work is... You reverted back to the BYU game offensively. You reverted back to it, and this, and what I mean by that is play calling wise. Whenever Garbers was out there, you're in a pass set. Whenever McElwain's out there, you're in a run set. It's so easy to read. <laughs> like it's ridiculously easy to read as a defensive coordinator. If you see five running out there and seven running out there, get ready for the pass. <laughs> get ready for the run. And that makes us so predictable. And then and then for you to go away from that and then put McIlwain as like a, you know, fourth dimensional galaxy brain will let him throw on the run, which, you know, has it caught them off guard. But you're putting a guy out there and and in, you know, the closest of games. Right, and we're driving down the field, and we're in what, like their thirty-five, within their thirty-five, within their thirty, close. I'll look it up in a little bit, but I mean, you put him in that position, and you you force him, you force him to throw, and he threw a total of seven times in the game. That was probably what, like his sixth or sixth throw, seventh throw, maybe. And you're expecting him to convert like that type of play between to throw to your running back who's in between the safety and the corner on the sideline. Like that's a ridiculously difficult pass, in my opinion. It's not that's not an open field like you see him down 20 yards running and there's open grass in the direction that he's running. Mm-hmm. It's like you have to you have you have to get the ball to dip over that first corner, but to to slot down, like you can't you can't overthrow it, you can't underthrow it. Because that's an interception both ways. And what happened? He overthrew it and it got intercepted. Um so that's where I'm at. I'm at the thing I'm I've said this from the beginning. I don't like two quarterback systems. It gets everyone out of sync. They it just it makes the offense super predictable. If you're gonna do anything, do what New Orleans does. Get both of the both of them out there, like you. I mean, in, if you wanted, if not as a system, but if you want to do specific plays, they have plays where Breeze is out there, you know, under under shotgun, and they have Taysom Hill sitting right behind him, or like they'll run and then they'll run Breeze out as a wide receiver, and then they'll snap to Hill, and then Hill will throw to to Breeze, and then he throws downfield, like you. If you're going to use two quarterbacks, make it unpredictable where they don't know who's going to throw and who's going to run. At the very least, if you're trying them out there and putting both of them on their center and you're using the same place for each one, they're going to read them super easy. That's my first spiel. (laughs) Second is retaining the offensive coordinator. I mean, I wouldn't fire him personally if I was Wilcox because... I know what the offense was at least decently capable of doing last year. That that has bought him a leeway for at least another year. But at the same time, it's a stern warning of like, we can't have this again. Like we, 
there needs to be backup development. <laughs> like we can't have this significant of a talent drop off and a misunderstanding of like n- not knowing how to run the offense this badly <laughs> or else, I mean, you're, you're going to have to let them go. Right. Because someone's going to have to take the hit because the fan base is going to be in, in uproar. Especially, I think even the high donors too are going to be like, what are we doing with such a great defense? Like, <laughs> You know, like they're not the guys who are like big time donors aren't stupid. Like they're watching the same product that we are that's on the field and they're going to ask questions. So I wouldn't this year. Um, I would significantly um, give pause and with reservation, tell them, hey, y'all need to hit the recruiting trail hard like Bo. When recruiting season hits post bowl, you're not coming home. <laughs> you're out there. You're going to go from Washington and you're going to take a car and drive straight down to San Diego and drop by every single high school and every single big target that we're going after. Yeah. It, it, it has to be. I think that's what exactly what needs to happen. Um, I, I really like a lot of the play design that we have. I actually think it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, in, unique and it opens up some things it for me it comes down to a lot it's like what are your receivers doing to help your quarterback and i do feel like chase has gotten more comfortable in the pocket and the guy's accurate with the football but he makes reads he actually makes reads it doesn't seem like he ever has anyone that's okay for it too um it's just weird that i mean everything about this game in particular was weird is that we seemingly were more effective against Washington's defense than against Washington State. Yeah. And then uh, coming down to it, I mean, do I think – I have no idea why you would put McWayne. I was very puzzled at the high usage rate that we were seeing McWayne being used at during the game itself. I did – I mean, even the ESPN announcers who uh, – I actually like McRoy. Yeah, McRoy is good. But the other guy was – I thought was – that's Dave Pash. Yeah, he's more of a basketball dude than yeah. he is football, in my opinion. So I thought he was just okay. But, I mean, even those guys just kind of ragging on it, being like, hey, you're throwing out a rhythm. And then you just weren't getting what we got against BYU. Against BYU, McElwain was bouncing off of tacklers and heading downfield. Against Washington State, he was getting bottled up for three yards of carry. And so it just wasn't the explosive element that I think that they were looking at. And so – with three and a half minutes left in the game to insert him and then into a passing situation that I think you could have effectively ran with Garbers. Garbers was the leading rusher in the game. You could have rolled him out to the right-hand side, probably gotten the linebacker to bite on the rollout because, once again, Garbers was the leading rusher in the game, then created the space and put an accurate passer in a situation of not making an easy pass, but a pass that essentially is wide freaking open. <laughs> uh versus your quarterback that has a ridiculously almost record high turnover rate uh, and then a notoriety at this point for being loose with the football in critical moments. And like that hero mode or if it is even hero mode or what's going on, it just it just was really painful. I mean, the, and the biggest, most painful thing about it is that BMC likes to turn the ball over and when it takes points off of the board. It's not turning the ball over at the 50. It's not turning the ball over and, and putting our defense in a bad scenario. It's turning the ball over when you're about to score. And it's what happened against Arizona too. When we would cross the 40, we'd cross in the 40, and then we'd throw a pick. Cross on the 30, we throw it like, you know, we fumble the football. And it just is an absolute killer because even at the worst case, which I truly feel we were going to score a touchdown at that point in time in the game. Uh, if, and you know, especially after that fourth down conversion, even if we got a field goal, it's still a different situation that your defense is putting, you know, the Washington State offenses. Washington State is looking at a loss unless they score a field goal. Unless, like, what if they rolled out their kicker and their kicker missed the tying field goal? Like, Anyways. Just letting you know, we were it was first and ten on the Washington State twelve. Yeah, it was. I thought so. Yeah. I mean, it looked like it was about to be a touchdown. Uh, and it's ridiculous that Laird's our number one receiving option. I would just throw that out there. He's our best wide receiver. If, if Noah's out of the game, Patrick Laird is our best wide receiver. 
we go to them all the time. <laughs> like it's, it's, I can't even begin to say like, I know we point to coaches a lot, but we also like, I look at the Giants, the San Francisco Giants, and it's like we've looked at the coaches for two years and now we're looking at the players. Some of this stuff reminds me of that. It's like we also have to look at the players and say, yes, they're great guys, they're good athletes, they're good students, they're great representatives of the university, and we're very grateful for that. At the same time, they are not to the level of where we would need to run an offense that's going to get us to that next level in the Pac-12. Here's my thing that I, I want to move on to, because I think you did a good we – we had an app discussion about that interception. Um, but so we we give up the interception. They march down the field. They miss the 30-yard field goal attempt, right? We get the ball back. We're on our own 20, first and 10, right? Patrick Laird, first – what? I remember what I tweeted. <laughs> Please run the football. <laughs> Patrick Laird runs three yards. For three yards, all right? So it's second and seven. Throw a 20-yard deep bomb to Wharton. To no one. Well, I mean, it was intended for Wharton. Wharton was the wide receiver in the area, but it was it was way out of bounds, way overthrown, and didn't have a shot to catch the ball, okay? So third and seven. We throw, an, we throw another, like, 25-yard bomb to Jeremiah Hawkins. Not a chance to catch that ball, because that ball was out of bounds before Hawkins even got there. Fourth and seven. We punt. And then they march down the field. They score that touchdown. And game set. This I'm. This is the one part I am super mad at whenever I look at this box, the box score and this play-by-play for the game. There's no other part that angers me. The, the, the McIlwain interception was bound to happen. <laughs> you put him out there. You put him out there as the quarterback and you make him in a rollout throw like – I I was I was praying for a non turnover. Like I wasn't praying for a touchdown. I was praying for a non turnover. But we we got the turnover, or we gave up the turnover. Um, <laughs> but this one this one drive it irks me so much. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure everyone's gonna blame that kid and that interception. But let's not. Let's let's not only put the blame on him because we had the ball and we were all we needed to do was drive down the field for three minutes and thirty one seconds and play for the tie if we wanted to like decently you could you had three minutes and thirty one seconds you could have played decently conservative but also played aggressively enough to go for the touchdown if you wanted to but there was no absolute freaking reason. You needed to throw 20-yard deep bombs on your first four downs. We went three and out with a three minutes and 30 seconds left on the clock. Like, I agree the play calls made no sense there, but I don't think that they had any remotely. I think once the turnover happens, the points were taken off the board that they were probably expecting to have. I, I don't know. Yes, I would have loved to have seen us run the ball every down. Well, I mean, because the reason I'm saying this is because let's if if he had if if Blake Mazza made that field goal, that 30 yard field goal, that's I think that at that point it's it's game set. Right. But it's the fact that he missed it and it gave us life. We had the ball. We're down three with three minutes and 30 seconds. Like you don't you don't even opposite of what the Washington game was. We had. It's almost like we're in a better position when the other team has the football and we have the lead. And well, because we trust our defense more than our offense. Right, because it plays to our strength. And what we were playing to there is like playing to our weakness. And what happens looked horrible. <laughs> like, so like, it's not all that – I mean, so yes, I agree. And it was frustrating that the play calls made very little sense to me why you would throw to your receivers in those situations where they're getting zero separation the entire game anyways. I don't know if it's on the quarterback for a misread on where he's going with that. Um, it just didn't seem like we were well, I just, gaps. I'm just thinking why or why are we throwing? Like I, I that's that's the question I had. You you run Patrick Laird once for three yards and then that's it. And I thought Laird looked had looked good previously. I'm telling you, I think the 
I don't know. I don't know if the coaches got thrown off just by the turnover and that type of stuff, but to me it, it just sort of seemed like everything got a little wonky as it as it so does in cow games yeah. and stuff like that. I mean, but it's just absolutely baffling that you would try to win the game there. You know, like you it's not like it's not like we got the ball with thirty seconds left, like and we're down by three and we're just trying to eat up as many chunk yards as possible. This oh, was I would try to win the game. No, I no, I'm not. I'm not saying we didn't try to win the game. I'm just saying you had three minutes and thirty one seconds to work with. You you, because the thing that doesn't that doesn't align with me is is the offensive coaching staff has always talked about we want to get that first first down because as soon as we get that first first down, then we can go into tempo if we want, or we can make the subs if we want, and that puts the defense on their heels, right? And they can't sub. But when you throw the ball like that in that type of play, and throw it out of bounds, the clock stops, they get to reset, and then we have no tempo. And we just go, Stephen Coots, <laughs> back out to punt. Yeah. It was a terrible possession. I agree with you. I still think my number one complaint for the game is... Was that interception? Yeah, for me, for yeah, I, this is this is the point that you and I differ on. Is that my mine is that one drive, yeah. and yours is the interception. Because it makes no sense why he was on the field. <laughs> it's not even a map or anything. I mean, the throw itself was not good. But like, why in the world would you run him in that situation? It does not make any sense. Let's be let's let's also give credit where it's due. The play call was solid. The play call was great. That play call. That play was. Perfect for that situation. It was we just had so the wrong. Down play call. We just had the wrong personnel. We finally, put in a fourth down play that was awesome, and we get that conversion. And I'm sitting here like, okay, we're going for the throw. We're you know, going for the fourth down instead of the field goal. Wilcox wants to win the game, and out we trot out a turnover prone quarterback. Roll him out to the right hand side, and he throws a pick. And I'm like, how in the hell did these two things? Possibly relate to one another. Like it doesn't. It just doesn't make. It's so mind blowing to me that you have one of those plays that is like we're going to win this football game, running layered off the right hand side, using like a little bit of deception to get them loose. Like man, like it was as baffling a decision. And I'm sure I'll get flack for this. For me. To have run McElwain in that play as it was for the Seahawks to throw <laughs> on the one yard line. It's up there with me for that. I, I just can't contextualize. Most of the time I can say, okay, I can see what you're going for. But McElwain wasn't doing anything as a passer. Like, he had one throw that looked good. Everything else was the same old. And it just. The narrative for, the narrative for me that, that irks me is that. You know they've been th- they've always the coaching staff always talks about how they want to put guys in the best situations you know for them to succeed. McElwain hasn't been producing. His confidence is probably at the earth's core at this point. Like it's dropped that far down. It's it's just at the point where the only things you could possibly do to get him a little more confident is you know get him some burst runs. Get in some design runs where you can maybe bounce it outside and maybe, you know, get the 15-yard chunk run. Or if you're going to pass it, like, throw it to Laird on a swing pass, you know, or throw it to the tight end in the flat. Like, that's that's how you're going to get his confidence yeah. up. But you you put him out there and you make him throw on a rollout to your, to your running back down the sideline with the game on the line is – that's what I'm saying. That, and I tweeted this out. That's not a position you want to put your young quarterback in to succeed. Especially considering the fact that the other quarterback that you've been playing has been consistent and has been making those plays. Like, like I feel like they try to kill two birds with one stone here where it's one, Washington State's not going to expect uh, McElwain to, to do a rollout pass, which they didn't. Second thing is, if he, if he nails this pass, his confidence shoots right back up, Right. They tried to. I, it, that's what it feels like. It, it feels like they tried to knock out those two birds with one stone, and they threw it at their own forehead. 
like, why, why then? <laughs> you know, why then? Why now? Yeah, because that's the perfect, in my opinion, that that interception play call was perfect if you had Garbers in. Yeah. Totally agree. And it was open. And it was there. And uh, it was there, but it still had to be decently accurate. Like, you, you could not overthrow that ball. If anything, you could have underthrown it. Because there was a bit of space between Laird and that linebacker. So if you if you lobbed it, I don't think that linebacker could have got and backstepped fast enough to, to pick it off. But you could not overthrow that with the safety rolling over the top of Laird. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Can we look at USC? Any last minute thoughts on this game? Like to to wrap up. If you were to take the 2018 season and boil it down to, you know, kind of the, the things that we are so good at and the things that we really struggle with, this is probably the quintessential game for that. Um, I think outside of the clear... Really? Game, yeah, I think so. If I you mean, picked one game this season that it boiled down to, you picked the Washington State game? Of, hey, or this... You have an alien that hasn't watched any Cal football. Oh, this is our one game in a nutshell. This is our season in a nutshell. Tell me about the Cal football 2018 season. You know, describe it to me in one game. And I think this would be the game. I really do. Because it's a top-class opponent. It's on the road, and it's a game we have no business winning. We're in the football game. We had benefit of the refs, so, like, I'll throw that part out. The referee stuff. We're terrible. The refs were terrible. On our side, like, we need to toss that out. Um... The fumble luck, like that type of stuff, like that's probably not the best. But other than that, I really do think that, in a nutshell, like we lost the game <laughs> in a very familiar way. Uh, the offense was absolutely abysmal. Uh, the defense was incredible and shut down and everything that it's been all year long. Special teams was good, not exceptional, not awful, and and then the coaching staff got in their own way. Uh, a lot in that I mean not even that much but like enough to where it cost us the game at the moments that it was necessary or it hindered us the most yep might not be a bad choice I put the Washington game because we we won without scoring an offensive touchdown and that that line for me alone (laughs) is like our season in a nutshell the only way we're gonna win is if our defense scores for us yeah <laughs> if you want to make the alien happy, let's go that way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I guess uh, for me, there's no real, there's no real closing thoughts to this game. We we were in a game we had no business being in, and I think that's the part that hurts us most because most Cal fans have watched this team the entire season and realized, other than of course the Astros, which is that UCLA game is that we can defensively hold any opponents to a score low enough where we can stay competitive. And that was highlighted even the most because of what we did last week to UW and what we did this week to Washington State. Granted, Washington's offense isn't as good as Washington State's, but the fact that we did that to both teams now, and I tweeted this out too, and I said, I mean, we'll talk about the SC game now, is... Now the defense has to come to play even harder because it's not a fluke anymore. People are taking notice of how good this defense is and they are going to come prepared against for with SC, with Stanford and with Colorado. Those three teams are not walks in the park like they're they're talented teams and they're going to know they're not going to overlook us now, at least defensively. Time for that was last year. Yeah. This year. We could we could surprise teams last year and, and punch them in the face, which is what happened on a couple games. But man, no, they're kinda they're gonna come prepped. Um and that's this is gonna be the, the gauntlet test. So SC and Stanford for that matter have I'm pretty sure a better defense in advanced stats. Yeah. Than Washington State against the run. So to me, the keys of this game are how effective we can be running football. Like it really comes down to that. Like, are we going to be able to open up holes for Patrick Lake to run through? And if not, dude, I think it's going to be tough. 
I already kind of label this game like there's a decent amount of hope going out right now, and I'm just kind of like, I don't know. <laughs> I know we say this every year. SC is as gettable as they're going to be. Yeah. And I just, I just. I mean, uh, statistically speaking, I think this is the most gettable year out of mo- the most recent memory, right? It's a, it's plenty gettable. I don't, I don't know if we get it. Yeah. I really don't. It's following the season arc right now is really following what we said. It's like these ups, we go five and three, and we're gonna go back down to five and five. <laughs> it's gonna <laughs> suck. And then hopefully we beat Stanford. You know, but I just, I, I don't know. I don't have as much confidence going into this game as actually I had more confidence going into Washington State because of past success. Whereas last year we played SC tight for three quarters and then Ross kind of melted down. And, uh, you know, Sam Darnold took over a little bit. The one thing I will say against that SC and Stanford game that bodes well for us is the fact that the best we – we played the best defense in the Pac-12. We played actually a top five defense in the country in, you know, in Washington. So I think you replay that tape – at least from the offensive side of the ball. Like, if I'm Bo Baldwin, I'm replaying that all the UW tape. Because the only thing we didn't do in that UW game is score a touchdown. In terms of driving the ball, getting downfield, like getting into within 30 yards of their end zone, we did a great job of. Yeah. And I think that's where you that's where that's the confidence building thing that you're going to have to do is you're going to say, hey, we did this against a top five defense in the country. There's no reason we can't do that against USC. There's no reason we can't do that against Stanford. There sure as heck there's no way, you know, like we can easily do this against Colorado. So you play that tape and you go, we finish out drives. That's all we need to do. You finish out drives. You have the O-line play like they did against that final drive against Washington. There's... There's just no way. Like, if we're that effective running the ball, there's absolutely no way that USC or Stanford beats us. Because we're going to say it again. This defense is going to keep us in the game. Yeah. They're going to get just enough stops and just enough turnovers that gets us that one extra possession. It's a matter of what we do with that possession. We got we freaking had that in the Washington State game with that Weaver pick. Like, it, it gave us that plus one and of course the missed field goal too but it gave us the plus one possession and we just we fumbled it away no pun intended so so you don't have any predictions for the SEA game I think we're going to lose you think we're going to lose I think that's the first time I've said that all year (laughs) (laughs) I mean this offense doesn't really give you confidence that they can put the points on the board enough for us to win right Dude, it's just it's just all the bad things, you know. It's like SC gets a nice little Oregon State game to warm up. JT Daniels comes back from injury. They got an O lineman back from injury. Uh, you know they have athletes at all the key positions, and Stephen Carr is running backs per game good. So He's real good. Sort of like I think I just think it's one of those games like we. Here's the thing with Gal. We don't win on the road at SC. It's just we don't do it. <laughs> and so I'm not going to – I just am not in a place right now where I can say that this is the year. I think we can be competitive in the football game, and I think we could have a chance to win. And it's the exact same scenario as last week, but it is one of those that I just sort of look at and say, man, it'd be nice, but I sort of have my eyes set on the big game right now. And thinking that Stanford is a little bit more vulnerable because their defense is quite shitty. Yeah. There are a lot of question marks. Yeah, I think that's the thing, right, is that our defense is going to be able to hold them to, let's say, under 14 points. Like, let's say they do that. The question is, can our offense score 14 points? Yeah. That's the question it comes down to. Yeah. (laughs) But no. We won 12 to 10. So <laughs> you can't guarantee that that's going to happen. We haven't scored more than 14 points. When was the last time? Oregon State. Oregon State, which was only three weeks ago. So. If the defense comes in and forces Daniels to make a couple of turnovers, 
and puts us in short field situations and we can capitalize. I think someone brought this up. It's like our red zone offense is also terrible. Yeah. Uh, where we can start. Where we also, but we also don't have many opportunities in the red zone too. So I think that's the big thing. I actually want to go look at that stat is how many red zone opportunities we've had compared to the rest of the Pac-12. We actually might be in the, like the last like two spots. I don't think we've, it might actually just be a Western Oregon state, like not, not getting into the red zone at all. I mean, we've, our drives have started to get better as the season progressed. It's just, we're not finishing out those drives, which is the bigger question. So it's a fun little uh, dialogue. Yes. How long ago did Ross get his MRI on his thumb? That is a very big question mark. I don't think most people know. So the rumors came out that he was hurt, what, a month ago? And uh, he sustained the injury at the last week of camp is the timeline that we know. Is, is what we, he what he we project. The rumor is he started to stop throwing very well because of the thumb injury. Uh, Garbers leapfrogging, leapfrogs him on the depth chart, and they run the two-quarterback system with Garbers instead of Bowers. Yeah, and then Rusty, Rusty tweets that he has confirmed that Ross is injured at home game. That, home, that last... That yeah, that UCLA home game. When was that? Thirteenth. Yeah. Okay, so the thirteenth. So let's say he got the MRI done on the fourteenth, or heck, let's just and say it's an injury that's already so big, even if it's broken up. So that's a month long recovery from initial, and then you know, depending on if he had surgery, four or six weeks. Well, the bigger question is regarding that: is when did they find out? I think they found out when the week the week of when Rusty. When he went to go have that MRI is when the coaching found, coaching staff found out. I know for a fact that the coaching staff thought he was beat out for the job. And he was not hurt. Like, in their eyes, was not hurt. Um, all the way through prep for the UNC game. So I know, I know that. Uh, so that's why I'm, I'm just wondering. It's like... Okay, so let's say he's been resting that thumb pretty much, right? So he... He rested that thumb after the UNC game all the way through. Let's say he did practice, though, and aggravated it just a little bit. Like, let's not say he aggravated it, but the, the injury stayed. It didn't get worse, but didn't get any better because he was still practicing with it. Yep. And he got that MRI at the UCLA. Let's say he got it during that week, right? Not the UCLA game. So let's consider that week one. It's basically a month out. Yeah. So there's no way he's coming back this season. At all, I mean the only the only way I see this happening is we get to a bowl game and we play like that last week of December, and you know he's healed by then, so who knows what happens there? But I mean that's the only that's the only timeline I see where he can come back and play. Coming back for Colorado, like that would be miraculous, like <laughs> recovery timeline. We, we don't know. Do we ever know what injuries are on this on this uh, roster other than, uh, like, if he's out for the season, we'll know, like, don't that he's out for the season. Ass, yeah. <laughs> you know, all these all these uh, press conferences we have, we never find out about injuries. Um, yeah. But that is a big question mark in this season, right? And, uh, and a very big asterisk, I think, that a lot of fans will have. Dude, the games that Noah hasn't played in, our offense has looked abysmal. So he might be our MVP. Yeah. All right. She says we're right. She said wrap up time. Yeah. All right. Um, that wraps it up for us here on the Golden Blogs podcast presented by the Booth Brewing Follow Your Fun. Andy, do you have anything going up this week? Offensive preview going up Wednesday, 3 a.m. Yeah. Slot, slot number one. Slot one. Slot one. Um, Cal basketball, Cal men's basketball, actually, or women's basketball, too, actually starts this week. Women's basketball, I believe, have their first game tomorrow. Um, and men's has their first game in Shanghai against Yale on Friday night. So I was at the exhibition game last week. I was going to do... Oh, come on, Phoebes. You got to be quiet. We're recording a podcast here. Um, but... Yes, boss. Yes, boss. <laughs> So, as how, I was, how did the team look? Um, we look younger. 
We look more athletic. We look a lot more fast-paced. We're not slowed down by trying to use our seniors as our as our like handicap, like giving it to Marcus or giving it to Kingsley. Jacoby Gordon and Matt Bradley look just as advertised. They look ridiculously good. Justice looks even better just because he's a sophomore now. His body looks a lot better too. Just he's wearing a headband now. It's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, the team looks faster. They look more versatile. Like they, I'm optimistic. Like I'm not saying that we're going to get to the NCAA tournament or anything like that. Heck, even the NIT tournament. But it's nice to see athletic wing guys. Like we're going into that modern, modern style of basketball where we can basically switch anybody between one through four on on defense and then go from there. Um, so I was going to write a recap on that exhibition game that we had against Cal State East, Cal State East Bay last week, but I wanted to withhold my thoughts and write it as like a, an ode to the season uh, before the season starts. So I'll probably have that up on Wednesday after your, nice. your piece goes up. And then Friday I have the Yale preview. And then the Yale game Friday night, 8 p.m. on ESPNU. Yeah, it's uh, basketball season's here. I love basketball season. I love this part of the year. Isn't I think this part of the year is the best, right? And if you're a sports fan, like that October, November little group, it's like you have the World Series and like postseason baseball. You have the start of, you have like a few, you're like maybe a quarter into the NFL season. You're midway through college football season. Um, and then you got the NBA and college basketball starting up. Like it's that like perfect time of year where there's always something to watch. It's the opposite of summer. <laughs> it's the exact opposite summer of summer. Summer equals baseball. Summer, summer equals long days of baseball every day, other than a World Cup year. Yeah, that changes everything. Uh, but yeah, that wraps it up for us here on the Golden Blocks podcast. We will be back after the whatever happens at the Coliseum <laughs> in LA. Uh, but that game, I believe, uh, just for to let everyone know, I believe it's a 7.30 kickoff on ESPN, I believe, once again. so Big game's going to be 5.30 or 6 on Pac-12 Network. 4 or 5. 4 or 5 on Pac-12 Network. Yeah. 4 or 5. 4 or 5 on Pac-12 Network. So, yay! Yeah. Nice times. Yeah. All right. And as always, go Bears. Go Bears. Is it 4 or 5 or 5 and 6?